It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be discussing the reports that Mikel Arteta has told Arsenal Football Club he wants to keep hold of Martin Odegaard beyond this summer. So uh, really, really excited about the prospect of the Norwegian staying. Mikel Arteta's made his mind up, but will the club back him financially and get this deal done? That is the big Big question. Odegaard's performances up until now, I think, have been really, really impressive. I think particularly in the last couple of weeks where he's added some goals to his game, you're really starting to see that this guy's got a hell of a lot of potential. And at just 22 years old, you feel like if a deal is there to be done, if if there's a reasonable asking price in place and it's one that Arsenal can match, this has got to be, I think, one of Mikel Arteta's biggest priorities. Moved out Mesut Ozil. Um, Decided to change his system back in December to incorporate a number 10 because we were clearly lacking in creativity. And he seems to have stumbled across the, the, the perfect guy for me. I, I mean, you look at you look at what he brings to the team. He brings technical ability. He brings work rate. He brings effort. He brings a football brain. He brings a good temperament. He brings a good attitude. He brings so many positives to the table. And as I said at the time when we signed him, we're getting somebody or we were getting somebody who was desperate to prove himself. You've got to remember, this is a guy who was touted as one of the best talents in European football, picked up by Real Madrid at the age of just 16 years old. And from then on, it's been um, it's been very stop and start for him. He's not really had opportunities at Real Madrid. He's had a few successful loan spells and a few semi-successful loan spells. Um, but now he, he's come to a big club. He's come to a club where he feels at home and and he's been talking about it to the Norwegian press. He spoke immediately after the North London derby and said that he felt at home at Arsenal and he felt at home from the very first day that he's very happy here and that he's enjoying it. And for me, that's all the kind of indications and signs that we need to suggest that, that Martin Odegaard himself is open to a move as well. And um, that is going to be a key part because if he wants to move, he'll be obviously sort of pressing for it from his side. You'd feel that from Real Madrid's perspective, when they're looking to clearly raise money and they're looking from Florentino Perez's point of view to try and capture someone big this summer, I think it's going to be Kylian Mbappe. Then, um, you know, it, it's a no-brainer. If the player wants to leave, if the, the club that have him on loan want to sign him, you feel like Real Madrid will at least come to the table. Will they play hardball at the beginning? Probably. And there is a, a worry about the... You know, the better that Odegaard plays, the more money Real Madrid are going to demand for him. But, you know, it's for me, it's almost like a try before you buy. You know, you've got someone there who you're going to sign and he won't need to go through that embedding period. He won't need to settle in because all of that's already been done during the loan spell. You can tell he's very popular within the camp. He's very popular with Mikel Arteta. And I just feel like this one seems like a no brainer. 
A couple of you in the chat are asking how much do I think that Real Madrid would want for somebody like Martin Odegaard. It's really difficult to put a specific price on it. But if I had to guess, I think anywhere around the 30, 35 million euro mark would at least bring Real Madrid to the table. I talk about this guy's potential. I talk about his ability. I talk about all of those things. And it's very easy because he broke onto the scene at such a young age to forget that he is just 22 years old. So the sky's the limit for Martin Odegaard and his ceiling is very, very high. Ordinarily, I think that Real Madrid will probably be looking for 50 to 60 million. But the effect of the COVID pandemic on Spanish football has been far more significant than it's been on the Premier League sides. Why? Because the TV money um, isn't worth anywhere near as much. Financially, Real Madrid are in a spot of bother, as are Barcelona, as are all the La Liga clubs. And as I keep saying, Real Madrid have plans this summer, uh, big plans centred around Kylian Mbappe. And I think that Florentino Perez will look at Martin Odegaard and say, he's not really cut it here to date. Yes, he's been okay at Arsenal, but it's probably time to cash in. It's probably time to move him on. And the latest report that is coming out um, is, of course, uh, that Mikel Arteta is very keen on keeping him. And he has gone and informed the club of his intentions to keep hold of the Norwegian. Of course, he was brought in to replace essentially uh, an ex-Real Madrid man in Mesa Ozil. And he's come in and he's dazzled, to be fair. Left-footed, very similar in that sense. Picks up pockets of space. Um, very technically gifted. Links up really well with those around him. And um, I just think sometimes you... As a footballer, you you find a home, you find somewhere where it clicks, where you fit in. And you can see that Martin Odegaard is enjoying life at the Emirates Stadium as well. And that plays a massive part in it. You think about our negotiations with Real Madrid and there's probably a chance that there's going to be some talks about Danny Ceballos as well, who, of course, is also on loan to Real Madrid. But Madrid have made it very, very clear that they do not intend to loan Danny Sabayas to Arsenal for a third season running. So a decision is going to have to be made there. And listen, I like Danny Sabayas. I think he brings an energy to the midfield when he plays. I think he ups the tempo to our game. But if you're asking me who I'm signing out of the two, then it's going to be Martin Odegaard for me. That The ceiling for him is much higher. You're talking about him playing in a position where we've got less cover. You know, even you look at the midfield now, you look at Xhaka and Partey, where does Ceballos come in to that? You know, I know there's going to be rotation. I know there's going to be lots of games and I know he'll get plenty of minutes. But, you know, if your first choice midfield is is Partey and Xhaka, yet you play Martin Odegaard literally every time he's fit, which is what's happening now. He's a regular in this Arsenal side. Then, um, then you've got to make the decision on Odegaard for me. That's the way I would go. And um, I think that's the way many of you would go in the chat. Let's go over to some of your live comments. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button. There's over 100 of you watching live right now across the multiple platforms. So make sure you hit the like button. It really, really does help. And subscribe to the channel if you're new. Also, if you fancy checking out our membership scheme, click on the link in the description uh, and check that out. We'd love to have you on board. Uh, Khan says, uh, if we can keep Odegaard, it will be great. Uh, big hello to Alcarp, to David. Uh, Elliot says, Odegaard had glimpses of Burkamp during that game. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say that. And and what he does really well is, is pick up those pockets of space, you know, in between the lines, 
also able to kind of go to either flank and link up with those uh, situated in those positions. What I liked about him in particular at the weekend was that he tracked back, that he pressed, that he worked really, really hard and he dropped into that midfield and made it a three when we needed it to be, but also had the fitness, had the awareness and the desire ultimately to get into the penalty area when we were having joined the wide areas and pulling balls back. And that's ultimately where the goal come from, right? It was a pullback to to the sort of back end of the penalty area and there was Martin Odegaard arriving. So not only does he chip in in terms of his effort, in terms of his work rate, but he also um, has the presence of mind to get into the right positions at the right times. There were concerns for me with regards to his fitness when he arrived because of how little football he had played up until that point. But he seems to have got up to speed really, really quickly. And when you compare that to Thomas Partey, who I know has had a few injuries, but Thomas Partey is one who I don't think has quite adapted to the the pace and the power of the Premier League. And on the other hand, you've got Martin Odegaard, who's come in, hadn't played any football really prior to coming and has got himself up to speed. So it's not to dig out Thomas Partey, but it's to highlight that it isn't an easy thing to get up to the Premier League speed and tempo in such a short space of time. And the Norwegian, to his credit, has done that. Um, what else have we got? Ebby says, Odegaard is a baller. We have to keep him by all means necessary. Top Tekka says, the better Odegaard plays, the more money Real will want. Hope we can get him though. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and, and I sort of mentioned and touched on that point. But the issue for for Real Madrid is that they simply need money. And if Zinedine Zidane is to remain in charge, which, you know, there's no indication that he won't, then, you know, he's made it clear already that he doesn't see him as part of his first team plans. If he did, he wouldn't have loaned him out last season and he wouldn't have loaned him out this season. So for me, once Zidane decides he's not interested in someone, once he decides that someone is not the right fit for his team, there very rarely is a comeback for that player. So um, I think that it would just be a case from Real Madrid's perspective of trying to squeeze as much money as they possibly can out of Arsenal. But in terms of the sale, I do think they'd be open to it. But listen, it's over to the club. You know, Mikel Arteta has made it clear that he wants him. He's made it clear that he's been impressed with him. He's demonstrated how he can be uh, an asset to us by picking him week in, week out and the player then going out there and putting those performances in. So, now it's over to the club. It's over to the club to go to Real Madrid and make and make the deal happen. Ultimately, if the, the decision has already been made and ordinarily you'd say, you know, maybe still a little bit early, but I've been that impressed with Odegaard that I would say go for it now. And I'd be knocking on Real Madrid's doors now. I'd be trying to do the negotiations now. That might not be the case because of Arsenal's financial situation and the fact that whether we're going to be in Europe next season remains unclear and that probably has a, a big knock-on effect on what our budget will actually be. But I think the conversations can start. I think the conversations can begin and I think Arsenal need to get the ball rolling, at least to make their intentions to Real Madrid clear um, about Martin Odegaard so that we don't find ourselves in a situation again where we're, we're wheeling and dealing and negotiating right up until the, the deadline. You want to get players in early in the summer. You want to be settled for your pre-season. You want to know what it is you're working with, especially this time around, considering we didn't really have a pre-season last year. It's very important for Mikel Arteta, for me, uh, to get things sorted as soon as possible. I don't want to say that 
well, I'm not going to say that this season's a write-off because we obviously could still finish in the top six. We could still win the Europa League. But I think there has to be some planning towards next season because ultimately, even if we do finish in the top six, you know, it's not the season that Arsenal wanted. And we have to come to terms with that and make sure that we're better for next season. So, yeah, um, I would be, as I say, I would be trying to get those negotiations and the ball rolling already if it were me. Uh, Aim says... uh, he thinks Real Madrid will want 40 million. Yassir says 50 million. Um, Mr. PKA says, apparently there's a gentleman's agreement about buying him, but not sure if any fees were agreed. Yeah, I, th- I think there would have been some kind of informal discussion around the possibility of him um, of him joining Arsenal on a permanent deal. And I think the idea of potentially joining Arsenal on a permanent deal was part of the reason why he wanted to come here. Um, you know, if you're Martin Odegaard, you're, you're looking at the options that he had and the options were Real Sociedad and Arsenal. And where would you rather end up on a permanent basis? It's Arsenal. Um, there's no question about that. Bigger club, um, from a financial standpoint, you stand to earn a, a far bigger salary as well at a club like Arsenal uh, than Real Sociedad. So I think probably, although that there was no hardcore negotiations, although there was no solid agreement in place, I think there probably would have been some discussions. And I think the possibility of potentially joining Arsenal even um, on a permanent basis will have will have um, persuaded Martin Odegaard that this was the right place for him. Just having that possibility, I think, helped. Uh, Alcarp says around about 30 to 35. Mr. George, talking about Odegaard's playing style, says it's refreshing to see a number 10 putting in the hard yards. Said Abdullah says, I was happy that we signed him. He's a player with great quality and high potential. He just needs to settle down, take his chance and play under the coach he trusts. Yeah, look, he, he talked about it in a recent interview. He talked about the need for stability in his career. And, you know, to be picked up from your club and shipped off to Real Madrid at 16 years old, you know, yes, it's amazing, but it must have been quite difficult to cope with. You know, going from, with all due respect, the Norwegian league to the La Liga, going from a, a sort of smallish club to Real Madrid, it must have been a bit of a culture shock. And then, you know, at the, at the time, you're probably on cloud nine, you're probably buzzing, you know, Real Madrid have come in and signed me. But then when you quickly realise that actually you are going to be sent out on loan time and time again, you're probably not part of the plans. Nobody's really actually giving you enough of a chance to prove what you can do probably becomes a little bit frustrating. And I don't want to say the Real Madrid move turned into a bit of a nightmare for Martin Odegaard, because that's probably too strong a word, but he'll say he'll certainly be looking to get out of the Real Madrid bubble. And I think that you can see he's playing with a smile on his face. He's really enjoying his football. And I feel like Arsenal offers him the perfect opportunity to do that. You know, we talked about him just prior to the signing being announced with uh, Jonas Yeva, Norwegian football writer and Spanish football expert. And he talked about the fact that Norwegians in general are quite anglified and that he wouldn't struggle to settle in because of that. He'll speak the language, he'll understand the culture, understand the Premier League uh, a little bit better than maybe somebody coming from somewhere else would. And I think that's certainly been true of Martin Odegaard. Um, Big hello to Derek, who's watching us from Australia. Uh, he says, good day from Australia. He's good for sure, We need, to, but we need to see more of the player, I feel. I like him. Twinkle Toes, I think is a good nickname for him. Like that. 
Um, Ebby Vander rightly points out that he would want the move and that would be a plus for us. Yeah, surely. Um, agreed. Uh, McDowell says, Odegaard reminds me of Sesk right before he exploded. We've got a gem on our hands. Uh, Aditya says, read that Mbappe is close to signing a new contract at PSG. It's still a tricky situation regarding that. Let's hope Madrid are open to a sale irrespective of the Mbappe situation. So I believe that PSG are looking to sign Mbappe down on a contract, not because they intend to keep him, but because they want to be in a stronger position when it comes to selling him on. And I do think that Kylian Mbappe wants to move to Real Madrid. He's made no secret of that throughout his career, that that's ultimately where he wants to end up. But I just think that from PSG's perspective, there's probably something in place where they're saying to Kylian Mbappe, look, sign the contract. We will allow you to go if the asking price is met, but you need to sign a contract because from from PSG's current position, you know, they're in no place to negotiate. They're in no place to play hardball with Real Madrid because if Mbappe doesn't sign a new contract, he can walk away at the end of next season on a, on a free transfer. And you're talking about arguably one of the world's top three footballers potentially walking out of your football club for free. That, PSG are too smart from a business perspective to let that happen, I think. And if there is talk of him signing a new contract at, at the Parc de Prince, it is purely because PSG are trying to strengthen their negotiation position ahead of an inevitable move, in my opinion, uh, to Real Madrid. Uh, let's see what else you guys are saying in the live chat. Lots and lots of comments. Again, don't forget, smash the like button if you haven't already. If you want to become a member of the channel, click on the link in the description and subscribe as well if you haven't done so already. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, Matt says, must admit, I feel a bit sorry for Danny Sabahs. He's been overshadowed. He must know we aren't going to go in for both him and Odegaard. Yeah, but what I would say is that Sabahs has always made it clear that he wants to return to Real Madrid. He, he said that time and time again. He said that he wants to go back and prove himself. Zinedine Zidane has been talking about it recently as well and said that he'll assess him with a fresh pair of eyes uh, over the summer. So it'll be interesting um, to see, um, to see um, you know, how that pans out. But I think Sabahs has got his heart set on a return to Spain. And I think that, you're right in the sense that it will be one or the other. And I think that Martin Odegaard will be the better option. It's not to say I don't like Danny Sabayos, right? I think he's done a decent job at Arsenal. It's just, if you can't have both, you've got to pick one or the other. And for me, um, Odegaard is the one. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Inda Neal says, everyone speaks about how the number 10 position is obsolete in the modern game, but Odegaard's work rate and intensity off the ball has been absolutely immense. This is what we wanted with a certain mess at Ozil. I, I, I never thought the number 10 position was obsolete. I know a lot of people have, have spoken about that and I agree with you. It's been a bit of a common rhetoric of late. I don't think the position's obsolete, but I think the position has changed. I think you can no longer particularly if you're playing in a team that want to play with a high press, you can no longer carry a passenger in the number 10 position like you used to. And Odegaard, as you point out quite rightly, has that work rate and the ability to be part of the press. And that's what makes him such a good option right now. Because aside from all the physical attributes, he then has the technical ability that when he does get a ball in the right place at the right time, he can make things happen. So I agree with you. The position is not obsolete. 
it's just changed. And Martin Odegaard represents the modern number 10 in comparison to Mesut Ozil. And look, it's not even digging out Mesut Ozil, right? There have been loads of players over the years of that same ilk, of that same mould, who don't offer a great deal off the ball, but are capable of unlocking a defence, of producing a moment of magic. But, you know, the the, the role has, has changed significantly. Alcarp says, I've got a question for you, Harry. I know it's not Odegaard related, but I watched the game again today against Spurs and would say Lacazette got saved by getting that penalty. I'll just quickly, briefly touch on that. I, yeah, he miskicks the ball and he's made a mistake, but Davinson Sanchez still commits a, a reckless foul. And for me, there's, you know, there's no getting away from that. Yeah, maybe Lacazette is a little bit fortunate because, you know, had, if Sanchez was a bit smarter and stayed on his feet and didn't do what he did, then you're talking about Alexander Lacazette and another glaring miss. And there have been far too many of those throughout his Arsenal career. Um, so I do think he got a little bit fortunate, but that doesn't take away from the fact that, in my opinion, it was a foul and it was a penalty. Uh, let's see what else we've got in terms of your comments. Love this. Justa says, once the Europa is done, we should fake a knee injury for the rest of the season to settle his price rise a bit. Yeah, not a bad shout. Um Lots of you uh, talking about the, the kind of differences between Odegaard and, and Mesut Ozil in the chat, and, and rightly so. Uh, McDowell says, I think Sociedad got him prepped. They have some really, really good young talent going on over there. Yeah, and he would have played a good brand of football. Um, you know, he would have been coached well at Real Sociedad. I've got no doubts about that. And um, yeah, it, it was it was a good learning curve, I think, for him. There's no um, you know, there's no two ways about that. Uh, big hello to Wes Bird, one of our members. She says, uh, Real Madrid are in dire straits financially, so I think we could do with a deal that would suit us as much as Madrid. Yeah, agreed. Um, and it's funny because I look at it now. I look at the Odegaard situation and often we're talking about players that we don't have at the club and who can we bring in and who can we bring in for this position and for that position. But when someone comes in on loan, the way Odegaard has and impresses right away. I think that your priorities change a little bit as a football club. And I think you have to look at him and go, he's the priority. Um, you know, that would be the first deal I'd be trying to do this summer. Because you've got to remember, we've got William Saliba to come back. So it's another centre-back to come into the into the picture. Probably, you know, w- will David Lewis stay? I hope so, for at least one more year. And then, you know, you're well-stocked in that position. The, the contentious ones are, are both fullbacks because Bellerin could leave. And if he does, yes, Cedric can step into the position. He's done really well there. But I think Arsenal would need to bring in another right back. I'm not convinced about Callum Chambers playing there. I, just, I, I really am not. On the left side, we don't have a deputy for for Kieran Tierney unless Mikel Arteta is going to give, say, Kalasinac another chance, which I, I don't think is going to happen. I think there'll be some kind of agreement in place there that sees him leave as well. Um, so there's a couple of positions that we need to fill, but in terms of big money signings, I think capturing Odegaard is is going to be the priority for me at, at this stage anyway. Uh, Peter says, um, if the player wants to leave, Real Madrid will have no choice to sell. Either way, we must move mountains to bring him permanently to our club. Yeah, I keep saying it, that the, the fact that the player seemingly wants to stay at the Emirates Stadium will play a massive, massive part in this deal. Because he can push, his agents can push um, from their side. And it's not the be or an end all. It doesn't 
completely dictate whether the transfer happens or not. But it's a massive part. If they're pushing, Arsenal pushing, and Real Madrid are, I'm not going to say willing, but open to selling, then, um, you know, you feel like a deal could be done. Uh, Jay Dubia says, Harry, I'd love us to sign him. He's special. What we have to understand, though, is other clubs will be interested and Madrid might want to keep him too. Many factors here. Yeah, th there might be other clubs interested in Martin Odegaard, but has he gone and experienced those other clubs? Has he thrived at those other clubs already? Has he developed a good relationship with the manager like he has at Arsenal? That, you know, Martin Odegaard is in a position where he has been unstable throughout his career, right? He's moved here, he's moved there, he's moved everywhere. And the fact that he keeps talking about the need for stability suggests to me that in his mind, if the choice came along between Arsenal and somewhere else, he would stay at Arsenal because he keeps talking about that stability and the lack of it. And he feels like he's finally found it. He talks about the fact he's found a home. And, and that means... You know, if you're on the one hand talking about a lack of stability and how much you need it and how much you want it, how can you then change your mind and go, well, you know, I I want to go somewhere else, actually, or I'm going to take another risk in joining another club where it might not necessarily work out. So I think all of these factors, I think they work in our favour at the moment. I think Arsenal um, would have to be, you know, would have to be really silly to pass up the opportunity to sign him. Unless, of course, financially it became impossible um, or, or financially it was out of our reach. And look, we have to prepare ourselves for the possibility that that could be the case, right? If it's not done, it's going to be because of that. It's going to be because of finance. And um, you can sit and you can talk about the mistakes of years gone by and you can talk about Arsenal's bad recruitment and all of that over the years. But the reality here is that can't do anything about it now and we're in the middle of a global pandemic that has without question battered not just Arsenal but many clubs as finances in the process so um let's see a uh, good point from the modern gooner as well he says Arsenal and Madrid have a good relationship I'm pretty confident they'll work something out obviously that plays a part as well um doesn't it ultimately we were able to get him on loan in the first place um so yeah let's see uh, Matt G, just touching on my David Luiz comment, says, imagine fans asking David Luiz to stay another year, five months ago. In fairness, he's done really well. Credit to him and his mentality. Yeah, he certainly has. Certainly has. Uh, Zephyr says, hair on point. It's absolutely not today. I had one of those situations where um, it was like a, a, a wild forest and you couldn't, um, you couldn't get it under control today. But there we go. <laughs> um Let's uh, let's go back into the live chat. Get your questions in. Any questions uh, that you want to put to me be between now and the end of the stream, drop them in the live chat. I want to say a massive thank you to Psalm 51 uh, for your kind donation. Thank you so much, says one of the better-based uh, Arsenal channels. Thank you very much. Really appreciate uh, your support. And as I say, thank you for your very, very kind donation. Um, quick reminder, hit the like button if you haven't already. It's really, really important. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't and come along and become a member come and sign up join our discord server um there's lots to come uh for members uh in the next couple of days uh got a couple of days where work's just chilled out a little bit calmed down a little bit so um plenty of time to be making um 
making you guys content. So get involved in the membership scheme. Click on the link in the description and uh, sign up. We'd love to have you. Um, <laughs> just going uh, back, uh, Jay Dubia says, don't build me up here, Harry. You seem stable and happy and we have an advantage. If we can sign him, I'd be chuffed. Yeah, I'm, um, I feel like I'm gassing everybody up for the potential of, of, of Martin Odegaard um, coming in. Because I, but I genuinely believe it's a possibility and I genuinely feel it's um, it's something that Arsenal, if they really want to do it, can do. Uh, big hello to Yash who says, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but big up Harry, amazing work. Why do players struggle to adapt to the Premier League? I think the Premier League, I'm not going to say it's the best league in terms of technical ability and tactically, because I don't think it is. Um, I feel like at times it's a little bit frantic. I feel like this season... In particular, I think the Premier League as a product has been damaged more by the lack of fans than maybe other leagues. I think it's impacted on the standard of football more than other leagues. Um, I think it is played with a greater intensity. I think it is played at a faster pace. And I think that physically it's a lot more demanding because I personally think that referees here allow more to go. Uh, then in other countries, I think it's a culture thing in football. It's different here in the UK to most places. And I think a combination of those things is why players struggle to get up to speed with it. I think the game moves quicker. I think, you know, Thomas Partey is a prime example of someone who clearly has the the physical attributes and the athleticism even um, to to be a success here. But he's obviously had a bit of a shock to the system picked up a couple of injuries along the way which haven't helped as well and all of a sudden you have someone who's playing catch-up from a fitness standpoint so I think that if you can adapt to the physical side of the game and you also not only have to move faster but you have to think faster as well and I think players with with quick wit and a sharp mind like Martin Odegaard I think have that ability to adapt but also it's about having the physical uh, ability and I think Odegaard's got both of those things and that's why it hasn't taken him long at all um so yeah it, it, listen it's a really different league to, to most of the others and and naturally if it's different to something that you're used to there's going to be an adaptation period but um thank you for your question uh Static says hey Harry I hope you're well if Arsenal couldn't get Odegaard who would be your alternative choice honestly I don't know because I feel like I've just put all my hopes on on Martin Odegaard. A lot of people talk about um, Emi Buendia. They call this controversial, but I think Emi Buendia will cost more than Martin Odegaard. Why? Because Norwich are going to come up into the Premier League um, and they'll be in a, in a position where they don't really need to sell financially, but also he is one of their talisman he's one of their key players he is the main man at Norwich when you look at Odegaard in comparison as good as he is and I would argue that he's better than Buendia he's not a star at Real Madrid he's not someone that Zinedine Zidane looks at and thinks is indispensable to the team therefore his value to Real Madrid would be less than Buendia's value to Norwich and that's not I know that doesn't make complete sense so it doesn't sound like it makes complete sense but what I'm talking about is the status that the two have at their parent clubs is is very, very different. One is the key member of their side. And so they won't want to lose him unless the deal is unbelievably overinflated. And the other side have got someone who, 
yeah, they think he's a decent footballer, but he's not made it at their club up until now. They've currently loaned him out, so they clearly don't need him that much. And I just think the two different mentalities around those two players will will, will mean that Odegaard is probably available for less money. I'm not even convinced about Buendia. I've spoken about it before and I've got quite a bit of criticism in the chat. People saying to me, well, you know, you're, you're being a snob because he plays in the championship. I just, I haven't seen that much of Emi Buendia. Uh, first of all, to know uh, if he will be a success at Arsenal or to, to even make an educated guess. In terms of alternatives, I haven't really thought about it a great deal, but it's one to take away and think about and maybe talk about on a Nick, on a later stream. A um, couple of you asking similar question. Um, would I like Sabitza? Yeah, Sabitza is a, a really decent player. But again, how much is that going to cost? You know, and, and that's what you've got to think about here. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, just picking up some more questions. Sidan says, Harry, your top four predictions. A little bit off topic, but I'll... Um, I'll give you my top four. Well, first of all, Manchester City will be first. There's no question about that in my mind. I think Manchester United will probably finish second. I actually think Chelsea um, are nailed on for the top four. I think there's been an improvement under Thomas Tuchel. I wouldn't put it past Leicester having a bit of a, a mini meltdown again. They seem to do that every season. They drop off. It's a common theme under Brendan Rodgers. And I know Sidan's a Leicester fan, so I'm not digging Leicester out for this, but Brendan Rodgers throughout his managerial career has traditionally had sides that drop off towards the end of the season. When you look at the teams around them, the teams that are chasing outside of the top four, they might get away with it this time, Leicester, because, you know, I, I feel like their form might drop off going back to what I was my original point. But I think they might get away with it because the chasing pack aren't necessarily good enough this time around. You know, you look at Tottenham, they're 11 points behind Leicester as it stands. I know they've played a game less, but 11 points is a significant gap. Everton, are they consistent enough to do it? I don't think so. Liverpool, they're not quite at the races and I think their focus has very much shifted to winning the Champions League. West Ham United, can they maintain their position? If they win their game in hand, they'll be just five points behind Leicester. But even them, I can't see them putting the run together that's needed. So, I guess I'm going to stay with the top four as it is. City, United. I think Chelsea will probably finish third and then Leicester in fourth. I talk about Leicester's sort of tendency to to crack and, and sort of fall away. But as I say, I think the chasing pack are just so off the mark right now and and simply not good enough. Um, I, I just, I, I think that they might get away with it this time around. Let's see um, what else you guys are saying. Um, Peanut butter jelly time says, uh, hey, Harry, David Luiz is not giving up on top four. You think we've got a shot if we put a run together? Not for the top four. Um, I still would need to see seismic movement in the Premier League table before I start talking about Arsenal finishing in the top four. But what I will say is um, I think the top six is on. And, you know, we could potentially save ourselves from a financial catastrophe if we qualified for the Europa League via the league. Um, obviously, look, the higher you finish up in the Premier League, the, the more prize money you get. And obviously that has an impact as well. And at a time where every little helps, then, um, you know, you've got to be looking to do that. But I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm confident or even 
hopeful of making the top four, but the top six is a possibility. And I think that's got to be the aim now. You know, if we do put a run together, let's look at it again in four or five games time. But for me, no, um, the Europa League has to be the aim. Uh, going back to Martin Odegaard, uh, John Smith says, love this player, great tech, a sublime touch, intelligent, hardworking. He's got sky high limit. Uh, the better he plays, the higher the ceiling, becoming more costly. Scared the better that he plays, the higher the ceiling, become he becomes more costly. Love the way he celebrates all goals. Yeah, um, that's obviously a bit of a concern for sure. Uh, Paul Friedman says, anyone who scores in their first North London derby deserves a permanent contract. At his close control, Techers and creativity. It's a no-brainer. Love how he combines with Emil Smith, bro. Yeah, um, me too. Um, let's see what else we've got. Big thank you to Mina, who says awesome content. Harry, thank you so much. Um, uh, Zephyr says, Gwenduzi thoughts. Of course, Matteo Gwenduzi been named, hasn't he, as the, um, the captain of the French under-21s, talking about... The fact that he wants to to come back to Arsenal and prove himself. I mean, <laughs> for me, it's I've 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 been over the Gwenduzi thing time and time again. He's got to sort his attitude out. Um and if he can do that, then as I've said time and time again, he could be an asset to Arsenal Football Club. But as I keep on saying, I feel like too much has happened between him and Mikel Arteta. I'm not sure that that relationship can be mended. And with Matteo Genduzzi going into the last year of his contract next season, I'm not sure that it is worth the time and effort of trying to mend that for him to potentially turn around at the end of that contract and go, nah, it's not working for me here, I'm off. And um, so you've got to weigh up. Is it worth investing time in him and effort in him, bringing him back to Arsenal, trying to embed him back into the group? Hopefully he's gone to Germany and matured and developed is it worth worth bringing him back and hoping that we can show him that we want him? He can show us that he wants to stay. We can do a new deal and keep him. Um, or is it worth just looking at cashing in on him this summer? Difficult. Um, only Mikel Arteta and Matteo Guendouzi really know what the relationship between the two is like. I wonder if what happened previously has led to some of his colleagues and teammates you know, losing some respect for him as well. I, I don't know. Only those guys behind the scenes will will really know how much damage has been done. But I do think you have to consider whether that damage is repairable and if what it's going to take to get Matteo Genduzzi back at his best and back embedded in the group and and all of that is, is worth the effort. So we're going to have to see. Um, I've never denied that the guy has plenty of attributes that can make him a really useful midfield player. In terms of ability, he's better than, than Mohamed Elneny. But he's just, Mohamed Elneny's miles ahead of him in terms of his attitude and work rate. And he's modest and he's, you know, he's he's a team player and he's a squad player and he understands that and he doesn't throw his toys out of the pram. So that's the difference between the two. If you're asking me about talent, I'll pick Gwendouzi all day long. But if the attitude's wrong, then then that's not going to, that's not going to wash with Mikel Arteta. And he's given us plenty since he took over as manager to suggest that he isn't going to take any shit from anybody um, when it comes to their attitude. Big hello to the Guns and Yellow Ribbons, to Fergus over there. Head over and check out the Guns and Yellow Ribbons channel. Give them a subscribe. Give them a follow. Uh, you know the drill by now. He says, Harry, 
when will referees wise up to Harry Kane and his constant cheating, backing into players and barging players like against Gabriel? Is it because he's the darling of England as the captain? Fergus is 100% because of that. I said it on yesterday's stream and a couple of people commented after uh, saying that I was crazy to suggest that. There have been many players over the years whose relationship or the FA's fear of pissing them off has prevented them from actually dealing with issues at hand. Alan Shearer was a prime example of that. He was a nasty piece of work. Um, you know, Wayne Rooney at times, I think, got away with absolute murder because he was part of the England setup. It, it, it's the way it is. It happens. I, I can't see that, that changing. Sadly, it's a bias that um, we're never going to get rid of. But you, you're absolutely right to point out Harry Kane, he backs into people. Um, he tried to do it a couple of times off the ball at the weekend to David Luiz when when long balls were being played forward by Hugo Lloris. I noticed it a couple of times. And David Luiz and Gabriel between them, they're big enough, they're ugly enough, they're strong enough and they're physical enough uh, to prevent him taking the piss. And I thought they handled it really well. There was one instance where I saw David Luiz where Kane was just trying to back into him and he just stood his ground really firm. And that's the benefit, obviously, of having centre-halves who are experienced, wise to it, aware of it, but also have the physical capability of dealing with it and handling it. Um, so, yeah, but you, you're absolutely right to point out that he gets away with absolute murder. Um going to pick out one or two more questions before we go. Um, let's have a look. Let's try and find something that's a bit different uh, to what we've already had. Um, lots of you talking about Matteo Genduzzi. Uh Here we go. Vinesh says, um, hello, Harry. Do you think a midfield pairing of Kessier and Partey would work? Um, strange one because I feel like they're too, well, it's not strange, but I feel like they're too similar and I feel like why Xhaka and Partey works is because whilst they're both quite similar in terms of their starting position, you've got one in, in Xhaka who's a little bit more safe in what he does with the ball most of the time. Uh, most of the time, I know he, he gives it away as well as does everyone. But most of the time, he's he's a little bit safer in what he does. And he's one of those players that just keeps us ticking, keeps us moving. Um, also, very tactically aware. Granit Xhaka doesn't get enough credit for his understanding of the game tactically and the way he executes the instructions that Mikel Arteta puts in front of him. Ultimately, that's why he's a starter in this side. That's why he plays every single week because he backfills certain positions. He allows Kieran Tierney on the left-hand side or whoever it is that plays at left-back to bomb on. And he's always aware of that and he always provides cover for that position. Thomas Partey, for me, is a little bit different in that when he does get the ball, you can see his first intention is always pretty much to play the ball forward in between the lines and to progress it. There's no... He's not going to touch the ball as much during a game as Granite Xhaka will, uh, Thomas Partey, but he does look to progress it every single time. He's got more drive on him in terms of his ability to carry the ball and, and, and run with it. You've also seen in the last couple of games, although his shooting has been completely off the mark, that he has got himself into positions on the edge of the box from which he can have shots. And I think that be, those subtle differences in the two is why they complement one another. I think that Frank Kessier is um, a little bit more adventurous than Thomas Partey in his play, but 
a lot of people, when we signed Thomas Partey, thought we were getting a defensive midfielder. That's not what he is. He's a box-to-box midfielder. So we've got one deep-line midfielder in Xhaka, one box-to-box midfielder in Partey, and one attacking midfielder in Odegaard or Smith-Rowe or whoever that may be. And because we've got those three differences, that's why you've got the balance in that midfield right now. The minute you start messing around with that balance, I think you have a problem. Look, there's an argument that says that Danny Ceballos deserves more game time, but it's his profile and his set of attributes that don't necessarily complement what Mikel is trying to do. It's partly why I don't think that we'll sign Danny Ceballos or even try to sign him in the summer as well, because it's not that he's not a good player. It's not that his attitude is bad. It's just that he doesn't quite complement the style of what we are trying to achieve. Um, So, that's how I see it. Going back to your original question, because I know I've gone around the houses a little bit. You know, Frank Kessier, no, I, I'm not I'm not big on him. Um, I like him. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Italian football. I watch a fair amount of him and I think he's a really important player to Milan. But based on what we've got, I'm not sure that he would come in and, and complement the style that much. Not enough to go and and splash an absolute fortune on him, which is what Milan will want at the end of the day. But thank you for your question, Vinesh. Really good question. Um, Derek Syme says, Harry, think Smith Rowe doesn't need more playing time. He's being picked for England. Not good for him. Needs resting, not more playing time. Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't want any of our players to play for England, if I'm honest. I don't want any of our players to play for anybody uh, other than the Arsenal because of that risk of getting injured, because of that risk of them... Uh, potentially breaking down. Um, so yeah, in an ideal world, I'd, I'd rather he sat around and, and did nothing on his weekends off. Um, wrap him up in cotton wool, I say. Right, going to leave it there. I've been going for over 45 minutes. So a massive thank you to uh, every single one of you um, who has uh, joined us. Big thank you to Agua as well. Agua David in the chat um, for your kind comment. Thank you to everybody who's uh, tuned in. Don't forget, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. If you want to become a member, click on the link in the description. I'll be back a little bit later on today with some more Arsenal-related content. Until then, ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler. 